0: Today marks a big change for the Family History Detectives podcast. Since Adam and I recorded our first episode a few weeks ago, some huge things have happened at FHD Forensics. This episode begins a special series on the 1981 murders of Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus and the miraculous discovery of their one-year-old daughter alive and well 41 years later.
1: The Family History Detectives podcast is a behind-the-scenes look at the investigative use of genealogy and genetic genealogy to solve mysteries. From stolen babies to unidentified remains to catching murderers, genealogy is becoming one of the best forensic tools available for shining a light on previously hidden truths.
0: Hey, y'all. So here we are with episode two of the Family History Detectives podcast. So Adam, I guess you know I've been pretty busy the last few weeks and some stuff has kind of blown up in my life, right?
1: All the things have blown up in the best way possible.
0: Yeah, all the things. As I explained in our previous episode, last fall I identified a murder victim on a 40-year-old cold case. Her name was Tina Lynn Klaus, and she was found with her husband, Dean, in the woods outside Houston, Texas, in 1981. When making the notification to Dean and Tina's families, I discovered that they also had a one-year-old daughter, Holly Marie, who disappeared at the time of their murder. FHD Forensics and the families immediately launched a search for Holly Marie Klaus. Throughout this process, I became extremely close to the Klaus and Lynn families, And along the way, I even feel like I got to know Dean and Tina themselves.
1: You just got some pretty huge news about that missing daughter, right?
0: Yeah. So a couple of months ago on June 7th, I was working out in our garden. You know that big bunch of greenery out there where we grow
1: food? Big fan.
0: So I came in to cool off and I discovered that my phone had been blowing up. You know, I usually keep my phone with me, but of course that day I didn't have it in my pocket. You know, the one day somebody's trying to reach me and it's sitting on the coffee table. So the chief of the Texas Attorney General's Cold Case Unit and the missing persons detective from the Louisville Police Department were desperately trying to reach me. I had phone calls, texts, and emails.
1: What was the big deal? Why were they trying to reach you?
0: Well, they had found Holly Marie. Dang. Yeah. I mean, eight months after identifying her parents, we had found one of the longest missing children in this country to ever be reunited with her family.
1: That's crazy. And significantly faster than the 40 years it took to identify Dean and Tina.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's the miracle of DNA and the miracle of modern technology and the Internet and, you know, information. So we soon had to tell the world about this because we knew that media attention was one of the best ways to generate leads for the ongoing murder investigation.
1: So that got kind of crazy. Yeah, you were real popular there for a second. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't let that CNN truck park in our driveway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the beauty of living close to a larger town. I don't think they would have wanted to drive up the mountain
1: anyway. Probably not.
0: Yeah. Uh, now that some of that whirlwind has died down and the families are looking forward to a very special reunion with Holly later this fall, we want to take the time to tell you a little more about Dean and Tina. So we're going to do a series of interviews with their surviving family members. This podcast is also part of an effort to raise money for the Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus Memorial Fund. All of the profits from our Patreon channel will go towards supporting that fund to underwrite unidentified remains investigations in their memories. The families are finding purpose in their own pain by bringing the miracle of DNA identification to other families, and we're so blessed to be able to help them do that. So to start things off today, we have Tina's brother Les and her sister Sherry, and they have some really special things to share about their beautiful sister.
2: I am Sherry Lynn Green. I'm the oldest of uh, Leslie and Shelby Lynn's kids. Les and Tina were my younger brother and sister. And a few years later, we had another younger brother born. So I am the oldest and Les didn't come along till 62. So I have more memories of our childhood and time in Oklahoma, really. And he knows more about our time in Florida and time he got to spend with Tina. I got married young and was gone and away for a while, so I didn't really get to know her as a teenager.
3: I am uh, Leslie Lynn. I am the second child, born in 62. Tina was born in September of 63, so we were very close. Our younger brother, Michael, was born. I was nine by then, so Tina and I spent the first nine years of my, you know, well, seven years of her life pretty much attached to each other most of the time.
0: So you two are podcast pros by now. How's it been working with Christina?
3: Well, you know, it was several months ago when I spoke with her. Um, But for two hours, it was great talking with a very nice person, very knowledgeable, easy to talk with to the point you lose track of time, so... haven't seen her podcast yet. I don't think it's out, right?
0: No, she was writing furiously for the last few days. She texted me today and said, I'm on episode six. (laughs) She got pulled off for the Ukrainian war and then for the Depp trial. And so she's been working furiously to catch up now that Holly's been found and, you know, get it dropped.
2: How about you, Sherry? She told me she was, it would be ready in August. I don't know how early, late or what. yeah. And she was very easy to talk with. I lost track of time, too.
0: Good. You just talked to her a couple of days ago, didn't you? That's right.
2: Saturday. So. And that's the first person I've talked with, really, any mm -hmm. kind of interview. So Mm -hmm. I was pretty nervous about it.
0: (laughs) Oh, but I bet she made you feel better. She did.
2: Yes. Very comfortable.
0: Okay, so I guess one of the first things I wanted to talk about is stories about Tina. I know y'all have probably had her on your mind lately, and especially since Holly's come back. Do y'all want to share some stories about Tina?
3: Sure. We were kids growing up in the late '60s, mm-hmm. early '70s, and um, we used to go to church. We'd ride this, the church bus every Sunday. We uh, were fortunate. We lived right on the beach, in a town called New Smyrna Beach. And we would go out, we would play in the sand, we would body surf on the waves a lot. Tina and I really enjoyed that. We had a good time there. That was uh two or three years, I think, we lived in that area. One of the things I was telling Sherry earlier was, I remember we used to uh pretend kung fu fight <laughs> out in the front yard. And um I was a little bit bigger than her, so I knew to pull my punches some. She, on the other hand, did not. more than once or twice she whipped my butt pretty good out there all right we had what were called sticker bushes out in the grass Mm -hmm. you know we ran around barefoot a lot you found yourself in the middle of one of these patches all you could do was stop and try to back out and then sit down somewhere and pull these stickers out of your feet Mm mm-hmm and you know we'd be playing ball or something like that we thought we knew where most of these patches were at but every now and then we'd get a little crazy and we'd end up in one and i gotta be honest with you she'd laugh at me when i ended up in there i'd laugh at her in that same predicament but yeah we really uh had a good time when we lived on the beach there when we first moved to florida we lived in Cocoa for a little while we had um a house with a fence in the back that had an opening in it, and we lived right behind an orange grove. So her and I would go back there in the mornings, pick oranges, have fresh squeezed orange juice every day if we liked. Florida was a real good place to live back in the 60s and 70s.
2: Especially for kids out of Oklahoma City who'd never even seen an ocean. It was a perfect dream come true. I want to take you back a little further than that. We were real young when we were in Oklahoma City. Okay. We weren't in the concrete jungle downtown. We did live in a suburb part of it. We had a grassy front yard and backyard. It was a short block. We lived on 29th Street. And at the end was the little barricade. It was a dead end for cars. But there was a hill down it to a little creek, two or three inches of water in the deeper part, really. And uh, we'd get cut up a cardboard box. And we would run and lay on the cardboard on our belly and slide down the hill. And lots of times you'd land in the creek soaking wet, sometimes not. But we put less and Tina on the cardboard at times and slide them down. And they loved it. But Tina, she was only like three and four out there playing with us. Mostly she would sit down by the edge of the water and play in the mud. Oh, really? If there was mud somewhere to be found, she would find it. I, I don't have a picture. I was looking. I don't have a picture, but I can close my eyes and see her sitting with her legs crossed mm. with mud all over, splattered on her face. And she did love to play in the mud then. Mm-hmm. So about how old would she have been then? Three and four years old. Cause she was still four when we left Oklahoma City. And then you would be how old? I was 10. Okay. Our stepfather took us, him and our mom, two big dogs, half German Shepherd and half Doberman. We called them Duke and Duchess. And three kids in a little bitty 69 Volkswagen. And we went up to Spring Lake, Michigan. Oh, my gosh. His parents lived right. The house wasn't a houseboat, but it was attached to the land. But part of the house was over the water. And we went there late in the year. So we didn't get to swim. And I didn't get to swim in the lake. Les wasn't very old either then, not to be out swimming on his own or anything. It was cold. So we stayed there, got to know those grandparents, made a few friends. That was our first really, really cold winter. Oklahoma winters are cold, but not a lot of deep snow or anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We were there until late spring. Of sixty-eight, because the lake had frozen, and our stepdad would pull us. He could drive the Volkswagen out onto the lake and pull the sled behind it. Oh my gosh! And we could get on a sled up on the hilltop because it was the parking area was way up on the hilltop, and you'd walk down rock steps to where the house was on the lake. But we made an area where we could actually slide on the sled way down this hill and way out across the lake on the ice. Mm. We left at, the lake was thawing, but there were a few ice floes still floating around on it. Lacentina sat on the edge of the the border around the house and put their feet in the water, and were freezing cold. I had to jump in and swim out to this little floating dock and swim back to the house. Just had to get in the water there once before we left and moved to Arkansas. And we lived in Bentonville, Arkansas, for a while with my mom's sister aunt and uncle and they had kids our age and still we would play outdoors all the time they had a garden tina liked to sit out in the middle of the garden munching on the little cherry tomatoes she was a wanderer she would get out from our sight a lot of times really i will frantic at times because she's supposed to be right beside me and suddenly i wouldn't know where she was and have to go searching but then again, if there was a mud puddle anywhere nearby, that's where you'd find her. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, really, really. Sitting in the mud puddles or eating? We, we were tomboys. We played outside a lot. Mm, that's cool. It was fun there. We moved from my aunt's house. We got a house of our own way up on a mountainside, and it was Bella Vista, Arkansas. And the water in the house was terrible, but just a couple of blocks away from the house, there was water. You could get right out of a tap into the mountain and get fresh spring water. Oh, wow. And we're toting that to the house for drinking water or water for mom to make tea and stuff. I
0: hadn't actually realized that y'all lived in Arkansas. I don't think until recently when you mentioned it, but I spent a lot of time in Arkansas records when I was trying to find y'all.
2: We weren't there real long. We went to school in Bentonville. Mm-hmm. Our dad died in September of 69, and that's when our stepdad took us back to Oklahoma City. Still only a couple of years, and my mom split up pretty quickly after that. Mm-hmm. And she went to Lawton, Oklahoma, to stay with our Uncle Bill and Aunt Tootsie. Mm-hmm. And we stayed with them in Lawton for a little while till Mom went, got a job and got a place of our own. She met and married our second stepfather there and got pregnant with Michael. And Jerry got out of the Army and moved us to Florida. His grandparents lived in New Smyrna, and that's why we came to Florida. That was a real dream come true, like I said. I'd always wanted to see the ocean. And back then, I don't know, ocean surrounds our country, but it had to be Florida or California. And we wound up in Florida. So that was the
0: dream, Florida or California. That's yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny how we make things so simple when we're kids? I'll either live on this side of the country or that side of the country.
2: As long as they had ocean.
3: Through the traveling we did when we were younger like that, we were tight. We pretty much did everything together, especially once Sherry got a little older and moved out. Tina and I were close as could be. And we ended up spending all our summers together, just doing things together. At that point, we'd moved to Florida. Mm -hmm. Like I said, that was a dream. We loved that there. And then Michael came along and we started getting some of the babysitting duties that happen. When you're the older kids like (laughs) that, take them out, play with them, pull them on the wagon, pull them on the wagon some more. Tina and I would take turns keeping him happy, keeping him busy. We enjoyed it. Um, there were a lot of good times.
0: What about a favorite memory of Holly?
2: I was not in Florida. I was in Baltimore when Holly was born. Mm-hmm. I had only met Dean really one time. My husband had been in the Navy in Milton, And in um, early 79, we left and went to Baltimore, Maryland, where his parents lived. That's when I actually met his family for the first time. We had come to New Smyrna to say bye to everybody before leaving to go to Baltimore. And Teen and Dean were dating at the time. They weren't married yet. My parents, they had left the beach. They lived in a house on US 1, kind of near the border between New Smyrna and Edgewater, Florida. And um, I met Dean then. I could tell she was pretty serious. hmm And that's where I took the picture of Tina and Dean sitting on the hood of a car. That was on US 1 right there in front of our parents' house. Oh, okay. And, of course, I heard that Tina was pregnant and she had the baby. Mm -hmm. Tina and Dean left Florida, but they weren't headed to Texas yet. They came to Baltimore and they moved in the house. We lived in Huge House with Johnny's parents. And his younger twin sisters lived there, too. They were about 13 at the time. Mm -hmm. Another sister had gotten married and moved out of the house. There was an empty bedroom. They came up there and stayed. And Dean got a job and worked for a while. And um, then they got their own apartment for a little while. That is where I have my memories of Holly, because that's when I met Holly. She was a little baby. I had a three-year-old and two year two-year-old, and they would sit on the floor and play with Holly and roll around and just make her laugh and giggle, and they would laugh and giggle and play.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And Tina and I would sit and talk. Suddenly, she was, she was a young adult and a mother, and that's when I really got to know her more as a person. They were only there three months. While they were there, they were struggling to get by, and I don't know if Dean contacted an old boss or if the old boss was looking for him and contacted him. But I walked to her apartment just to visit one day, and um, she said, "I got to tell you, we're we're moving to Texas." And I said, "What?" And she goes, "Yeah, Dean's got a really good job offer there. He'll make really good money. So you know, we're going to be leaving and going to Texas by the end of the month." And I said, well, what about, you know, where will you stay? And she said, Dean has family there, and we're going to be able to stay with them at first. And uh, I don't know, my heart sank then. I was so happy that she was so close and that I could see her often and play with Holly and watch her and Holly together. Tina was young, okay? She was only 16 and um, married with a baby, but she was happy. She wanted to be the perfect wife and she wanted to be the perfect mother. She loved that baby. Holly was her life. So it's just its just so sad that she didn't even get to see her through to her first birthday. It breaks my
3: heart.
0: Liz, when did you meet Holly?
3: I never got to meet Holly. Oh. Okay. I had stayed with Tina and Dean for a little bit prior to them heading to um, Baltimore. I had joined the Navy in the July of 79 and returned um, back from boot camp in A school around December of 1980. And for about a month, I think a month and a half, about six weeks, I lived with them in a trailer they had. For that few months, um, we were best of friends. Again, I mean, Tina and I had always been tight. I had been gone for well five or six months. It was good to see her again. She was really happy. I got to know Dean very well in that short period of time. We both worked. And um, that same car they're sitting on was a 72 Mercury Montego. I had a 73 Monte Carlo. We would race each other every day on the way to work.
0: Uh, Boys and their toys.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Until we each had to go our own way. And um Most of the times, he beat me. (laughs) Oh, really? Uh, He's a little bit older, probably more of an experienced driver. I don't think the car was the big deal. But for that six weeks or so, that was great. And I think back to that a lot because that was the last time I saw her or him. Mm. At that point, I was doing reserves up in Jacksonville. I had started to migrate towards a full-time position with the Navy. I traveled up and down the East Coast through another eight years with the Navy and um, always thought somewhere along the line, you know, we'll get back together. This thing about joining a cult and wanting to give up all their belongings and, you know, lose contact with their family. I didn't believe it was anything that would ever last forever. I always thought somewhere along the line, Tina would make an effort to try to find us. I think that's why so many of the families tried to stay local right there at a place where, when they were ready, Mm -hmm. they could come back and easily find the family members. But yeah, I think about that time I lived with them, that being the last time I ever saw them.
0: Speaking of the cult, it seems like, at least for me, when I was watching the press conference, that there was so much validation to what we've been talking about for six months when we heard the story of what was going on in Arizona. How did that affect y'all? Do y'all have any, I don't know, new thoughts about the cult,
2: or how are y'all feeling about that? I at first wondered if there even was a cult. We believe there must have been because of the way the women were dressed that returned the car to Donna, the Concord. And that was their story, that they were a religious group, and Tina and Dean had joined them and uh, left for California with them. I still wondered people could dress that way and just to tell a story, but I thought, I guess it's possible. When Dean's family started saying Dean sort of had this weakness, had been involved with the religious group or cult already in his life and was kind of easily swayed in that direction, I told myself, well, Tina loves Dean and she'll follow him to the ends of the earth. So she's going to do whatever it is he's wanting to do and be wherever he wants to be. And what those women said was that Polly was with Tina and they were with the sisters and Dean was with the brothers. I did not talk with these women, but the youngest Klaus girl went to school with Tina. She was closer to Tina's age. While they were in Texas, we had moved back to Florida right after they left Baltimore. This Klaus sister came over to our place and talked with us and visited with us a lot. And she had told us ahead of time about the phone call and the women wanting to bring the car back to Florida. And she talked to us about it after the fact, having seen them and seeing that they were in robes. And their story was Tina and Dina were happy with what they were doing and really didn't want anything to do with any of us at that time which hurt. It was hard to believe, but I told myself if that's what Dean wanted, Tina would go for it.
0: Mm -hmm. And Was that Donna? Uh, Donna K.
2: Her name, yes.
0: So as you're describing her coming over and telling you
2: about it, can you remember at all what time of the year that was? I'm trying to think about it, but the house we lived in we moved there just after Christmas. It was very early 81.
0: Okay. So it does make it definitely January because I think at
2: some point... Yeah, because that is when we moved into that house. We were allowed okay. to start carrying stuff in, moving in on January 1st of 81. Well, that certainly puts
0: a very strong light on what they told you all because we know that by January, exactly where they were, and it wasn't with the cult. So. Mm-hmm. Tina and Dean were gone.
2: Yeah, Tina and Dean were gone. And
0: so was Holly. Holly was dropped off in November.
2: Obviously. So I I have to feel that they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They knew what had happened to Tina and Dean. Maybe they weren't the doers, but I don't know. I feel strongly that they must have known. Mm-hmm. They must have known. Mm-hmm.
0: What about you, Les?
3: Yeah, I... uh. I've listened to this story several times. I've lived with it for over 40 years, and I initially thought somewhat of a separation between the term a religious group and a cult. You know, a religious group being a a type of people who practice and worship God, you don't think would do these type of things, and it's still hard to fathom that that's the case. Up until recently, and you know, finding out what had happened with Tina and Dean, I've always thought if it was a religious group they were involved in, somewhere along the line, they'd be able to reach out and make contact with us. Me too. Having read more and more. They were living
2: in the woods or a large farm, growing their own food, maybe making their own clothes, just living their own life with their little community, and hopefully happy doing it. That's how I pictured them too.
3: That's how I pictured and Basically, you said it, a religious group or a commune, which those were very relevant back in the days, and I presume still are now. I, I've not followed anything like that for decades, but having read some of the articles recently and the things that I've seen where people try to break free from these groups, it's heart-wrenching to think that people that want to preach and practice God can be so out for themselves and have their own agenda. That's how I look at it nowadays. And knowing the fact that when we did not know this, obviously, until recently, that these same women or women like that had dropped Holly off at a church in Arizona, of all places, um, confuses the timeline and the story immensely. I mean, this is November. We know they were found in January in Houston. Had they been out to California, that doesn't make sense. But what was going on that Holly was dropped off in Arizona? And yeah, if you look at the timeline, I definitely believe these people were aware of what was going on. They have an insight. And hopefully, if they're actually that religious or they believe in God, maybe somewhere along the line, they want to cleanse their soul and they want to come and tell the story. I think maybe there's a better shot than that, than the detectives actually finding somebody if they're still alive. Over so many years, so many things have gone through my head as far as was it them, was it somebody else, did they pick up a hitchhiker, did something just go wrong, how did they get from Louisville to Houston? To so many unanswered questions, I'm going to use the word cult this time, that definitely are a part of this picture, and um, I'm just hoping all the answers come forward for us.
2: That's right. I still have hopes of that. I do too. Yeah. We are so, so thrilled to have Holly back in our lives again, to know that she is alive and well and has had a happy life. And that brings me so much joy. And yet I still feel so much hurt deep inside Les and I talked not long after hearing that Tina and Dean were identified and how they had died. And I said, I just have a huge knot, a lump in my stomach. It's there constantly. It won't go away. And I I just thought about it, I think, yesterday that I feel like I'm happy about Holly. And all of a sudden, I realized I don't have that knot there constantly. But I still think about Tina so often. I don't sleep well at night. I wake up. I find myself thinking about her. And I I cry. I want justice for Dean and Tina. I want to know who did this to them and hope that we might even find out why in some way, what it had to do with Holly. I don't know. I have to believe they died. They were killed fighting for their baby to keep their baby. She was taken from them somehow. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't know how I can feel so much happiness and still so much pain and anguish at the same time, but that's what's there. Mm Mm-hmm. Part of being human.
3: It's like a switch that just goes from one to the other. Mm. I wake up in the mornings. I'm thinking about Holly. I'm anticipating the, uh, the meeting that we're going to have, getting to know her, getting to know her family. And every time I think about that, I think about the fact that Tina's never going to have this opportunity to see them grow up, to enjoy her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. And it's an emotional roller coaster every day.
1: So sorry. I can imagine. It's got to feel incredibly bittersweet to have so much resolution on one side, and then, as you've said, to still have all these loose ends and questions on the other half of the story.
2: But it is worth it to have it, to know, finally. I'm not looking for Tina's face in women I pass in the stores or on the street or walking into a business here in town. You know, I'm not looking for her anymore, and I was constantly. Sure, sure. And I'm not searching for Holly Marie Klaus through Facebook. Mm-mm. You know, looking for them through social media like I was It did for years. Wow. I don't know where I even first heard that the Salvation Army had a missing persons bureau. And it wasn't right away, 81 or 82. I know it was in 83. I actually filled out an application about Tina, Dean, and Holly being missing. Mm -hmm. And, of course, in that paperwork, I did put the last addresses I had, which was Texas. But the last we had heard was they were going to California. And the searching that was done for them... They told me they couldn't look nationwide. They had to focus on an area. And they did, but they searched the California area mostly. And, uh, of course, they (laughs) they were never found. But back then, I just felt we were told they were doing what they wanted to do. So you don't go to the police because nobody's done anything with them. And so nobody's looking for them because we think they're happy and doing what they want to do.
0: Yeah, that's one of the most heinous things, I think. About this case is, you know, a lesson I talked about this in Houston, that, you know, not only are they gone physically, but you were led to believe that they chose a different way of life over their family.
2: If we had called Texas police and gotten a search for them in that area, maybe when those sketches that were drawn after the bodies were found, maybe we would have been connected. It's just you didn't have everything shared Those pictures and those news articles were in the Texas area, not Florida, not nationwide. Right.
3: I'm going to say that particularly right there is one of the reasons I think the efforts to put a fund together like we're trying to do to help other people in this situation, especially knowing that, you know, in the 80s and in the 2000s, the science just wasn't there. The nationwide networks with the police and the detectives, and missing children's organizations weren't there, they're there now. And I think it's key that people hear our story and wanna help. Wanna help those that are in the same same situation or they're going through the same painful memories all the time, or just can't find a missing person that is alive and can't remember who they are, or obviously situations that mirror ours exactly where homicides have happened, Numerous Jane and John Doe's are out there just unidentified. Right. So we're hoping this is a a worthwhile task to make this happen. And um,
2: it helps even one more family. If it helps one other family get the closure that we have gotten, then it's so well worth
3: it. I agree.
0: That's what it's about. I really admire y'all for having the fortitude and the resilience to want to think about other people. You know, I think that's amazing.
3: Well, you know what? If, if this had never happened and we would never gotten a call from you back in October, we'd be the same place we were for the last 42 years. Not knowing, not understanding, not having Holly. The fact that she's back in our lives is a miracle. Yeah. I mm-hmm. praise the people that were involved in finding her. The prompt response they got from everybody throughout the states that helped out to find this, um, it's out there. This, this type of network is available. And you know what, it didn't happen without DNA. So we just yeah. need to push this forward.
0: I admire that. And you know, I share that mission with you. You know, there are 4,400 unidentified bodies a year. You know, that adds
3: up. That's unimaginable.
0: It is, so that's 4,400
2: families. They all have family, somebody. Exactly.
0: Another thing I wanted to ask y'all about is there's been so much written online about Dean and Tina's story and about Holly. And is there anything either one of y'all have noticed in stories that you feel is a misperception that you want to see corrected
3: or clarified? Most people seem to have a part of the story. They don't tell the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Some of the online, um, I'm calling them snoops or detectives, just seem to tell a story that sounds good. And um, doesn't necessarily follow any of the truth.
0: Yeah, that's frustrating.
3: I can't name a person. I can't name a specific thing. It got to the point I just quit reading some of these because they're they're hogwash. They they just don't sound good. They don't sound right. They're misleading. But I can't put my finger on any specific thing. I think the larger media's that have done it, KHOU in Texas, has done a very good job. ABC is on the right track to do a very good job with this. I did not get a chance to read the People magazine article. I know some people have. I'm not sure how that worked out. The larger media seem to have the story right, and that's just where we want to stay at this point.
0: Well, we were lucky to have journalists that would stick it out for several months as this unfolded. People magazine, I worked with them from January until June You know, on that article, and it had to change two or three times because things happened. And so, yes, for the most part, most of the legitimate media has done a really great job. But, you know, it bothers me that as the stories unfolded, the facts have changed because, you know, jogging 40-year memories is not easy. and, And it's out there in the world now on Xavier's stories on KHOU that Dean and Tina left New Smyrna Beach for Houston, you know, because... When I first talked to Donna and Debbie and said they'd been found in Houston, they said, yeah, you know, they left here to, for a job and they didn't know the difference between Houston and Louisville and that they were six hours apart and just assumed they were close together and things like that. So, you know, there are some things that are out there wrong for good reason because it took a while. And then there are others that are out there wrong because people jump to conclusions. I mean, do either one of y'all feel that we know for certain they were in a cult
2: or is that just what somebody said about them?
3: Uh, none of us there's
2: no proof yeah yeah tina only wrote me a couple of letters after leaving maryland but she never mentioned going to church or talking to a religious group or a cult. she never mentioned any of that in any way she didn't write long letters maybe the front of one page but we're okay and it's a picture of holly you know how holly's doing it wasn't much I had just moved back to New Smyrna and wrote her a letter saying, we're here, we're staying at mom and dad's. And that first letter I sent her from there was returned to me. Marked, moved, left, no forwarding address. Really? And I said, wow, what do you mean? What can this be? And I talked to Les, the Dean's sister. And they contacted the family to call the Texas family to see what was going on. The story says they left Florida for Texas. And I understand, you know, in over 40 years, three months in Maryland is a very short part of that time frame. But those three months are when I got to see and play with Holly. Holly is my only blood niece. Like, Les's boy, Joey, is my only blood nephew. I feel like we're a pretty large family all in all, but literally that's all I have. And that's when Tina and I got to be really close. So it's very, very important to me. And it doesn't change the storyline any because they did go from there to Texas. And memories, you know, Donna knows she said goodbye to her son and then he was gone and she never saw him again. I know she knows he wound up in Texas because they stayed with family there and write a couple of letters and mail pictures from there. So the fact that they were somewhere else for a short time.
0: Well, that visit to Baltimore was very important to the timeline. And like you said, it was it was important
2: to you. Yeah, because they weren't in Texas all that time. I know whoever killed them didn't meet them in Maryland or anything like that. It doesn't affect their ending and the storyline in that way. Yeah, it's important to you. Yeah, it is really important to me. And Johnny's younger sisters, the twins, they were 12 to 13, and they watched my Jimmy and Sandy so Johnny and I could even go out and just take a walk down the streets and come back or something without kids. And they did the same for Dean and Tina, and they loved playing with the children, and they remember Holly well. Yeah,
0: they've written me on the Facebook page, actually, a couple of times to be sure that I knew that they remember them being in Baltimore.
2: Yeah, and like I said, it was a short time but it was a very important time for
3: us. I think speaking of that short time from the time they left to the time they were murdered, it was no more than a five or six month time frame. I still find it very hard to believe that Tina, much less being separated from Holly, would let herself be separated from Dean too. Okay. Sherry had mentioned a couple of times how happy she was, how much she wanted to make a family, how much she loved Dean. And I know for the little bit of time I lived with them, they, they, they were in love. They, they were very happy. I, I guess more and more I think about it, I still don't buy the religious group or cult or whatever we want to call it at this point. Somehow it's tied in. Something's come about that they became involved. And I don't know if it was. They
2: had Holly. Thank.
3: Somehow they got Holly and they got the birth certificate. And that's the biggest mystery out there. They did the right thing, obviously, giving her up. Money was their motive to bring the car back to Florida. Too many unanswered questions.
0: Well, you know, I'm kind of like, y'all, I think that somebody somewhere will hear about this. Yeah. Maybe it's one of the young girls that was at Daytona Beach that was shushed by the older woman and couldn't talk. Maybe it's somebody that knew him in Yuma. We know from some of the people that have come forward and some of the tips that have come in that a lot of those people are still alive and they're seeing stuff online and they're on
3: Facebook. and Well, we certainly hope so.
0: There's a chance. You know, I, I think it's possible somehow you're going to hear something.
2: Exactly. For anybody and everybody, anyone missing and not knowing where a loved one is, you know, just don't give up hope. No, never. This 40-some years has proved that to us now.
0: Yes, and y'all
2: demonstrated that
0: ever since I've known you, that we always knew it was a long shot finding Holly, but there was always hope. And that y'all would still get together and brainstorm and do interviews and, and you know keep the story alive was just heartwarming and inspiring to others, so. That's
1: right, we don't give up hope. The meeting with Holly is coming up relatively soon, right? Yes. What are each of you most looking forward to in meeting her face-to-face for the first time as an adult? (laughs) I
3: think the biggest part is being able to give her a hug and hold her and know for sure that she's right there in front of me. I can't wait to do that. I'm nervous about it and I'm excited about it. She's got a a large enough family that I'm going to enjoy trying to get to know in such a short period. I'm worried about trying to remember all the names. But I'll get through that. I'm going to practice that before we get there.
0: I'll make you a chart. Uh, I I have the names. Okay. They're written down.
3: I'm just going to have to work on it. Uh, It's just being able to spend time and let her tell her story of what she's done for 40 years. Wow. I can't wait. I just can't wait to hear her story.
2: Yeah, me too. I don't know, maybe even this first visit, we won't get a chance to sit and talk much. There's a lot of family for her to meet, but I do want to talk to her about her mom and us growing up together. I had my own bedroom until Les and Tina were born, and after after we left Oklahoma City, didn't live in that house anymore, I shared a room with her, well, until the day I got married. So I just want to let Holly know how much she meant to her mom and that I don't believe she gave her up. If She signed a piece of paper or something. It's because Holly's life was threatened otherwise. That's the only way it could possibly occur. I just know she did not give up her baby.
1: I'm sure that will be great for Holly as well to be able to get all the insider perspective on her mom, memories, and stories, like everything you guys have just recounted for us. That'll be huge for her.
3: Yeah, we're just worried about overwhelming her. Sure. A lot of people want to tell a lot of stories. Obviously, we want her to tell hers. So for the few yeah. days they've given us initially, it's going to be a busy time.
1: I can imagine. Well, then the good thing is that y'all are in each other's lives now, and there's you have plenty of time to catch up on all that stuff.
3: Yes, we do. Yes, we do.
2: And we know how long we have to put it in writing and put a stamp on the envelope and mail it and wait or pay for a long-distance phone call. Yeah, good point. We can set on our phone and text her a message and get one back very quickly, and that's amazing. I have grandchildren the same age as her youngest child. Well, then the same age as her older children, too, so Tina's grandchildren. Yeah, else to think about it that way. Tina has grandkids. Well, and great-grandchildren now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And we get to see her and meet her and give her a hug, a a part of Tina. And Dean. Dean showed. it. Obviously he loved her so much and he wanted to be a good husband and father and they should have had it all.
3: They should have.
0: Thank you guys. I uh, am always touched by your vulnerability and your willingness to share all this and i i appreciate it because i I do think people want to know more about dean and tina and so i I want them to be able to get it from the source you know
2: yeah a romeo and juliet story yeah they were weren't they
1: thank you all so much for taking the time to chat with us today we really appreciate it oh thank you
2: thank you it's
3: good talking with you yeah good talking with both of you
0: If this kind of work interests you and you want to help us solve a cold case, there are many agencies that need your help funding this expensive technology. I invite you to visit our website and look for our GoFundMe links to fund the kind of case that you're interested in. We also accept donations via PayPal. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: The Family History Detectives podcast is a production of FHD Forensics, written by Allison Peacock, with music and audio production by Adam Nury. For more information or to contact FHD Forensics, please follow us online at familyhistorydetectives.com.